0: everybody and welcome to Listen Money Matters. It's not what you know, it's not even who you know, it's what you know about who you know. My name is Matt and I'm here as always with Andrew. Andrew, how are you and what are you drinking?
1: Dude, uh, I am excellent. I am returning Sweet. from a vision quest in Ireland mm-hmm. and I am drinking a Philosoraptor which is a Belgian style ale brewed in Jersey city. And I went oh. there and I drank the guy's beer and it was really good, yep. but he was kind of mean.
0: Oh, that's, that's so <laughs> odd for the beer community, right? Like, usually not mean. He, yeah. like he
1: introduced himself. He's like, Hey, like I'm the, the lead brewer or whatever. Yeah. And then he might as well just said like, get the fuck out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, to each his own, I guess. Um, I am drinking what I'm calling a breakfast stout. Uh, it is coffee in a stout mug. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and the mug says "work
1: from home." So. Very nice.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty early. It's like 10: 15 here. And I, I woke up I woke up super late. I'm not usually like a wait, late, wait, uh, a late waker. Mm. Yeah, I don't think anyone's ever used that phrase before, but I woke up late, and here we are. Mm. Usually I wake up at like seven, Holy but shit. today I woke up at nine. Damn, because I had a good night's sleep.
1: <laughs> uh, this episode all right, is sponsored by Lisa. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs>
0: uh, today's catchphrase is from at j underscore peds p e d s. Thank you for the catchphrase. If you want to send in your catchphrases for this show, join the Listen Money Matters community on Facebook by visiting listenmoneymatters.com slash community. Let's get into today's topic. We're talking about uh, salaries and working and 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 kind of uh, using your friends to amp your salary, is what we're what we're describing this as. And we have a guest on today's show. Uh, David Burkus is a best selling author and a sought after speaker and business school professor. His newest book, Friend of a Friend, offers readers a new perspective on how to grow their networks and build key connections, one based on science of human behavior. Note, not roll, not route. Not, not, what is that even? What does that mean? Not route.
1: Wow, we're not bad. rote
0: network networking advice. What is that? What is that? Am I an idiot? Should I know that word? <laughs> Ordinary, boring, rote. Now I'm going <laughs> to use that word. Well, I hope this
2: interview isn't rote. David, welcome to the show.
1: We so smart.
2: <clears throat> Thank you so much for having. I had to show off the professorial, professorial chops and throw an, <laughs> an SAT word in there.
0: Yeah, I didn't. I. You know what I got on my SATs? Nine fifty three. I was going to say the minimum is two hundred. So. <laughs> Yeah, just uh, 9.53, my friends, combined, combined, yep, o- okay, <laughs> I, I got super drunk the night before and I was like, I don't care, I just went in and yeah, college wasn't for me, so- let's just say that, <laughs> you're doing okay, you seem to be doing okay, hey, look, I got, I got my dress hoodie on, um, <laughs> I'm working from home, got my coffee, my breakfast out, so yeah, I guess everything's all right. So,
1: David, you said you're a professor, um, what Where?
2: I am. I teach in the business school at Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma.
1: Oh, cool. Um, how much do they pay you?
2: <laughs> they don't pay me very much anymore. The last year I was full-time. I think I got like 68 dollars $69,000 a year. Um, but I knew that I knew that question was coming, so I had my, here's my previous salary. <laughs> but uh, now I teach one class a semester, and honest to God, I have no idea what they pay me for that.
1: Wow. So being rich must feel good.
2: <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't know about that. I just I know what's what's interesting is it's one class a semester and it still pays biweekly and so I just I don't even notice the direct deposit. You know, you used to notice payday in your bank account. Now I'm, it's just kind of like, oh, okay, either either we didn't go grocery shopping today or I got paid. I'm not sure which one. <laughs> about the same. Yeah, and and like so so the whole the whole book is
0: about you know using your your actual network and not networking and, and like because I read a, what's that book called. Uh, Social animals, or something like that. Mm. Never eat alone. I think it was called. Never eat Eat alone is a networking book. Yeah. So I didn't like the the don't never eat alone. It felt very. Like you're using people as like a collection bank and you're always and you're you kind of like treat people like I need to grow as a person, not mentally or emotionally, but like, you know, financially. And so I'm going to collect these people and use them for my own like nefarious, you know, uh, self-worth growth or whatever the hell. And I was just like, this guy kind of sounds like a dick. Right. And so and that's just how I felt about reading the book. It was super true. And but, but when I like when I read a little bit of your book, I was like, "Okay, you're just saying you have friends. you already they already exist, right? You don't have to, you know, basically use them.
2: That's exactly right. So yeah. I mean at, at the core of what I would put I'd put that book in a category of these sort of networking advice books, and at mm-hmm. their core, I think that they have uh, one big flaw, which is that they define networking as adding to the collection, right? Yeah, bigger is better. The more people you know, the better off you'll be. Oh, and A, we know that's not true. We do know that there's a link between sort of your social capital and your actual capital, right? Yeah. That that your network determines things like your net worth and what have you. We we know that's there. Mm-hmm. But I think the better approach is to recognize that you don't you don't have a network, you can't grow your network, you can't build your network, it's not yours. You exist inside of a network already. And your job is to figure out where you are in that network, like you said, who your friends are, that you already have them, who your friend of a friend is, and and how to create value for that network and navigate that network to accomplish what you want to accomplish. But it's not just like, oh, I need to run up the count of people I'm connected to on LinkedIn. That's not going to help you. Sure.
0: And it's it sounds like it's more like uh, taking better inventory than it is just buying more
2: shit to store. Exactly. That's a great – that's a good – I don't know that I could get away with, you know, running Facebook ads with that exact like no, they'll phrase, probably, but that's a pretty yeah. good catchphrase for the book. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. You can have that. It's all yours. It's all <laughs> yours. Um,
0: so you, so uh, in your TED talk, you talk about, and I mean, Andrew just asked you how much you make. Yeah, uh, I you, get, I, I
2: get that question a lot.
0: I'm um, sure you do. Every, every single thing you've ever been interviewed on, it's a,
2: probably the first question, right? I, so I got interviewed on TED radio hour and it was the first mm-hmm. question he asked me and then they cut off my answer. Uh, and I got hate mail because people thought that I didn't answer the quote That I was like trying to dodge the question, oh. and it was a. So yeah, I get it from all sides. <laughs> Isn't that <laughs> ironic? No, it, it, yeah, it was. It was weird. I don't know. Whatever. Some people, you know, what if you if you're listening to a podcast and yeah. you are so angry that you're gonna pull out your phone, Google yeah, me you know. to find my email address, and then send like. I'm just I'm going to say a little prayer for you. You need some yeah. you need some bigger things going on in your life. Yeah. <laughs> you, need, you need to take you need to take better inventory. Right. You need to yeah. think deep thoughts about your future.
0: Yeah. So what got you into like this whole salary thing? We you know, I I remember we watched uh an Adam Ruins Everything uh, clip about people in the office, you know, basically telling everybody their their salaries and how that sort of empowers people to Ask for more money. But in this culture, it's very taboo and, and it's really hard to do. And I, I, I never did that shit. When I worked at a like, you know, regular corporate job, well, it wasn't really corporate. I worked for small businesses, but still, I never, no one ever asked me and I never said anything. And it was always sort of like my parents were just like, never talk about money. That was sort of how I was brought
2: up. Yeah, so um, Adam ruins everything, including like he sort of scooped us because we had this in the book. So mm. the, the book with salary transparency in it is uh, that came out in 2016. So did the TED talk while yeah. we were planning and doing all of the editing, whatever Adams thing came out unbeknownst to us, um, mm. which is fine because he did an he, he got away with things that I could probably not get away with saying. Right, right. The, the core thesis around this idea is that you're exactly right. It, it's culturally taboo to talk about money, at least in, in our culture. It's actually a relatively new phenomenon for the first hundred years years or so it was not as as much of a keep it all a secret don't tell anybody The problem is that humans, uh, there's a whole theory of motivation called equity theory. Humans are constantly comparing themselves, their efforts, their output to what other people are getting for what they envision to be the same amount of output. And mm -hmm, that's actually not a problem when I see that if I put in 10 and I get paid 10 and you put in 15 and get paid 15, everything's fine. I trust the system. I'll work harder, et cetera. The problem comes when that system breaks down and I'm seeing that I'm working hard, Uh, harder than you for the same amount of money or that uh, I'm working Mm -hmm. for this amount of money and you're working uh, you're working less. We get paid the same. There are all these times where the ratio goes out of whack, and that creates a lot of demotivation in people that creates – in organizations, that creates a desire to leave and go somewhere else. And so what I started looking at from the standpoint of the organization is that it, it's actually a good idea organizationally to move towards a more transparent culture in terms of salary because people are, are – they're always doing those comparisons. They're checking yeah. out, you know, Rob just got a new car. And right. so-and-so is now in the corner office. They must be making a ton of money and working. They're making assumptions assumptions, and the assumptions are usually wrong, which is makes it more likely that they're then going to be frustrated with what their pay is. Totally. When in reality, like if you and and most organizations, small business and large strive to have a relatively fair pay system. Mm -hmm. So if you have it, then there's no harm in in sharing it or at least sharing how you're determining it or what have you, uh, because it's going to end up with people being more motivated as long as it's fair. If it's not fair then by all means don't make it transparent right that's the worst possible thing you can do fix it first right that's a much more important thing to do yeah. so adam kind of came at it from the standpoint of the individual that there that secrecy allows all of these things to happen where people can be taken advantage of i'm i'm trying to make the the case to organizations and leaders that hey your people will actually work harder and work better and will feel like the organization's more fair if they can see this system
1: mm. so I had heard about Buffer and how they their the radical salary transparency and it all sounded super awesome and I was like fascinated with the numbers and how they calculated it. But uh, when I started my career, I was in an investment bank on the tech side, um, and it is fiercely private. Your numbers it is told to you by your boss and your boss's boss multiple times throughout the year that this is a private number and you have conversations around your bonuses and compensation and it is so intense and secretive that, uh, I mean, like, I, you know, I-, I look I, what happened to that company. <laughs> right, and then, then that, they were called Lehman Brothers that declared bankruptcy. Uh, but But, like, and I, I was young at the time and I was literally actually afraid to share this Information. I mean, I, I thought I was going to get fired. It, like, what do you do? Can you get fired? <laughs> they, they, yeah. they went bankrupt before they could fire me. Well, yeah, of course,
2: of course. You would have gotten fired had they not fired themselves by going bankrupt. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, it makes really sense. Right. Okay, so uh, in terms of the fear piece, you're, you're totally right. And the thing that frustrates me is that, uh, and I'm not a lawyer, so check local laws and what have you. But in terms mm-hmm. of federal law you cannot actually prevent employees from discussing their salary peer to peer. Now a manager, like your boss can't go like, Oh yeah. And here's what Sally got paid mm. too. They, that's, that is illegal. Uh, but if you were to go ask an, a fellow employee, what, you know, what did you get paid? I want to make sure this system is, is fair, et cetera. You know, what was your, what, what determined, how did they determine your bonus? All of those sort of things. Those questions are considered to be part of uh what would eventually lead to collective bargaining. So they're they're protected by the National Labor Relations Act of 1935, big fancy act that basically kind of allowed unionization to happen. Those are protected conversations about the workplace environment. So they technically can't fire you. And every couple of years, there's an example of somebody who gets fired, then they file a complaint with the National Labor Relations Board. It takes like two or three years for it to draw out. My The most recent example happened in, in Texas in like an architecture firm. A woman got fired for starting these conversations and the 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 company the the National Labor Relations Board ended up ruling that the company had to pay her back for the 2 years of salary that she would have earned had she not been fired and had to offer her her job back wow. she declined the second part but she took the money so uh, the the thing to be careful of is there are a bunch of different technical definitions of who's an employee versus a manager versus a you know independent contractor and what have you but if you're a pure employee like you were in your first job That setting that culture of fear is actually kind of the opposite of what the law actually pushes for, which is that employee to employee, person to person, that's a protected form of collective bargaining.
1: So in the worst case scenario, you just find out how much money the person next to you is making. And in the best case, you get to sue your company and make like a shit ton more because they were assholes.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Generally. Yeah, that's it. Sounds like a it's win-win. One or the other; it cannot. <laughs> there is no middle ground. Yeah, you'll find that a lot of them will settle. But you know, the 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 sad thing is that the majority, in the majority of instances, where a company is pushing for, uh, okay, this is a secret number; you cannot share this number, et cetera, or where a company is out, outright firing somebody for kind of that offense. It's either not. It's never taken to that level of suing the company, et cetera, because it's not because the employee doesn't know, mm-hmm. right? Or I mean, employers are really savvy sometimes, and it's you know the the interesting thing about at will employment is that there's the reason we fired you for, and then there's the reason we fired you for, right? Mm, right. And right. so you can you you can then su- suddenly find yourself on a performance improvement plan, and then you don't meet up those things, and then you're fired for performance. So it gets it gets murky whether or not you want to um, how hard you want to push. Is up to you which is again why uh, I actually started pushing from hey leaders hey actual managers and organizational leaders HR departments this is something we need to talk about Um, not hey every employee just start show up for work with a placard on, on it with your salary tomorrow and everything will be fine well, I mean that's
0: the thing. If if you're going after leaders, that feels like it would be a lot slower than like anyone listening right now could just walk into their office tomorrow or today depending on what time you're going into work and go, "You know what? Now I'm going to be transparent or I want other people to be transparent and so they could possibly lead the charge." And I'm and I'm wondering if you have any like sort of advice or or deterrent or something to say like, "Here's how it should be done and here's why" it would be beneficial to either not do that or do that.
2: Yeah. So a a couple thoughts here. One is I think we need to think about transparency as a continuum, not a a binary thing. So it's not like secrecy is no one knows transparency is everyone knows. That's kind of the final stage in a number of steps that we can take. You know, the, the first is like in the federal government, for example, salaries are transparent only in the sense that they all conform to a tier G1, G2, G3, G4. And then you can go on the, I think it's the treasury website. It might be, I forget which website in the federal government, you can look up, here's the salary for each of these tiers. Hmm. And so, you know, you know, somebody is a G four and you know what a G four gets paid. So, you know, but they didn't put two and two together and say that Rob makes this much money. You have to do that last piece yourself. Then, then you can kind of move towards where salaries are transparent internally versus externally. So buffer would be an example of externally. We publish it and everybody knows it. Whole foods would be an example of at least whole foods pre Amazon. Acquisition, yeah. cause I don't know I don't know what policies move forward after that acquisition. but um, but so you move you move towards transparency. And so I think in terms of the individual, that should be what they push for. I I think, again, because of all of the weirdness of the culture that we're pushing back against, because of the fact that if you show up and broadcast your salary and start asking other people, you might just actually make them uncomfortable. Like it's kind of, a depending on the organization, it's a jerk thing. So I think where you start is by forcing that conversation. Hey, how do we determine salaries for new hires? What's the formula we're using Mm. to judge where somebody goes in a pay scale, et cetera. Start asking those questions and push for that information. And truthfully, I think ninety percent of organizations would see an improvement just for that. Just for saying, "Hey, he, when we have a new person coming in and we have to set a salary, here's how we determine it. that you know it's being fair." the The number one complaint is usually so we just hired this new person. They have less experience than I do, and they're making more than me. And that's just usually it's a it's just a reflection of the job market going up and down, which is the job market going up and down is a terrible way to judge salaries in the long term because it's always going to fluctuate.
0: Right. And then how do you walk into a, like to your boss's office and just say like, "Oh, like, yeah, you know, David's making x x number of dollars, like I want the same." And you're like, "Uh, yeah, but you're the janitor."
2: It's <laughs> so So it's interesting that conversation is actually what pushed Whole Foods to go transparent. So John Mackey, Mm. one of the co-CEOs, was tired of dealing with objections of so-and-so gets paid this much and and I only get paid this much and, and having to explain like, well, this is why they're worth that much and you're not. And so finally he said, forget it. Here's everybody's pay data and their performance review data. So you can just see, like, here's what the store is doing and here's how much the store manager is getting paid. Yeah, um, Which is, again, if you think back to that ratios idea and human motivation, that's straight in line with that idea of let's make it clear. So that's kind of, I think, the biggest thing. If you're going to say, oh, well, Dave makes more than me and we have the same experience, be prepared for a smackdown, honestly, on why Dave's actually worth more than you or or, yeah. or less or, or what have you. Right. So because you may yeah. not be seeing the entire picture. So be ready for that. And that's, again, why I think it's better to push for questions about how are we determining these things, whether right. you know or not what a peer gets paid, push for transparency and how stuff's determined, because that's what you really want anyway is information about how to make more money.
1: Yeah. So, My family, we we talked about money things, you know, inside the family. But we always had this uh, thing where we wouldn't talk about like how much we made or whatever outside because that was inappropriate. Or or perhaps like when people would say this stuff to us, we would be like well, why, why are they telling us this information? Like, why, why are they bragging about this? It's like, it's like
0: this? whipping out your, like, you know, it's like whipping yeah. public. Yeah, and, and it kind of, like, like,
1: called into question the, you know, well, clearly they have something to prove, and maybe there's, like, a lot right. of bullshit in that. And so we kind of didn't share. We were skeptical, you know, uh, what everyone else said. And, and so, like, how do you actually share? Because it's kind of like a... Uh, I'll show you mine if I show you yours, but then if you just kind of go out and show yours, people are like, whoa. So are we talking
2: about, uh, I should ask, are we talking about sort of the friends and family sharing question or the peer-to-peer sharing question?
1: Well, let's, let's start with like, like inside the, an organization. Yeah, let's start inside an organization. How are they different? Because I want to know if the people on my team are making more or less, like if I should be making more or less, or, or more or more.
2: So most of so I, most of my research is deals with organizations inside of organizations transparency among employees and, and what have you and I For think sure. they they are different in the sense that the goal of sharing that information again it shouldn't be to just compare everybody's you yeah, know I got it. size and see what, who's this, right right um you're yeah there you go anyway <laughs> So many Facebook ads I can- <laughs> cannot run now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, inside an organization, again, the purpose should be I'm trying to figure out whether or not this is fair, right? So if you're sharing, it's to say, hey, here's what I did, here was my performance review, and here is what I was getting paid, or here's how many years of experience I have, and what that offer is. And I'm looking for comparisons It's and for the purpose of judging the system itself, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, And in fact, what you may find if you go into an organization and you start asking questions about the system, you may end up getting uh, really, really strongly suggestive information about what other people um, are making. I think you also probably before you go share inside an organization, you want to go to a place like salary.com and other places where you can see what the market is paying so that you have an idea of, okay, well, I have this many years of experience and this is the, the range and I'm not in it. Tell me why. And again, you're looking for information about why open and honest conversations about like why we cannot afford, we're a startup and we can't afford to pay you what you're worth, but we're doing it in this instead, or we're a nonprofit or whatever. Those are fine. You just want that kind of information Mm -hmm. in terms of sharing it to to family and friends. I don't know that there is that much of an upside to sharing it with family and friends. The the only upside I could actually potentially see is the opposite of uh, the scenario that Andrew was talking about where it's not about here's how much I make. It's sometimes people are doing the lack of information. They're doing the comparisons and they're thinking you make way more than you do. Right. And I think sharing to temper down their expectations Mm -hmm. Are, is a, is a big deal. Like so for example my my wife is a is a physician. She's an ER doctor and because she's a doctor people immediately make all sorts of assumptions about us. But they don't know what how many hours she works. They don't know how much we give to charity throughout sure. the thing, but you get you get certain friends and really they're not even good friends. They're kind of the weak-tie friends because yeah. good friends wouldn't do this that are like, "Oh, well you guys should pick up the bill because of this or that." And like
1: that's ridiculous.
2: Oh dude, it it happens though. But you share – I think you share – or or you get the, hey, he's a best-selling author thing. Like, yeah, I make like a dollar per book sale. So that does not mean yeah. I can pick up the tab <laughs> on this deal, right? So I think you share in that sense. Almost you share to bring yourself back into the median of what your your peer group is to try and ease discomfort, not to create it by sort of judging. Yeah. I mean the, the type of people that would get into that type of uh, a pissing contest over who makes more are probably not the type of people you want to be your friends anyway. Mm. Right.
0: Yeah, they're not going to help you get – make more money. They're probably just going to make you mad.
2: <laughs> Which making you mad may, I mean, may yeah, maybe, be a motivator. Maybe we'll make more money. Because, but sure. that's a terrible reason to try and make more money to begin with. Sure. Um, so here, here's the thing. I want to talk about um,
0: your new book. And I want to talk about how we can use uh, our existing networks to make more money, whether it's in the workplace or – I mean for Andrew and I, like we're – I don't know. Would you call us like – freelancers
1: in a way. Yeah. I don't, digital workplace. I don't even know. What I mean, are.
0: cause I definitely feel like, you know, networking when you don't, when you're not in like a, an office type setting actually is crazy beneficial and not just in a, in a workplace. So I want to talk about that. But bef- before we get into that, uh, we need to take a short break, but we'll be right back and we're back. <laughs> yes <laughs> We just all took one breath. I didn't even sip my coffee. I should have just sipped my coffee mm. or something.
1: no on, on breaks, you hold your breath and make sure that yeah. the break went well, and then yeah. yeah, you just chuck on your beer and
0: um okay, so I, I guess there's just two things to me there there's two things there's like your network when you work at a place, and is that and do your coworkers count? And then there's like what Andrew and I are kind of like, we don't have an, a traditional office space and we don't have, quote unquote, uh, I guess, coworkers for lack of a, you know, um, how do we how do we use these things in both in both scenarios to make more money
1: without feeling like we're using yes, our people? That's the
2: right. Yeah. So, I mean, first is don't be a sleaze, right? Because then if you're, if you're trying hard not to be a sleaze, you won't end up being a sleaze. But before you go any further with
0: that, (laughs) before you go any further with that,
2: I have this,
0: like this, I don't know what it is. It's like a belief system, a philosophy, a mantra or whatever. I've been saying this for years and I don't know how to articulate this in a way that everyone can understand. But my thing is just be fucking cool. Just be cool. If like like some people are just you know like uh, there you can tell like I know from like we do a lot of networking like when you work when you're an entrepreneur and and I just you can tell the people who are doing it for gain and then you can tell the people who are just who just actually want to be your friend and I don't know and I just want to tell those people who are who are trying to do it for financial gain like just be cool man like I don't we don't need to talk business we can have a beer like chill chill the fuck out
2: so I just wanted to articulate that some in some way. So my, my, my friend Heidi Grant would actually call that don't make it weird. That's that's the phrase. Don't that make you. it weird. Okay. Just don't make it weird. Don't make it. Just don't. But okay. So a couple different things to unpack here. Number one, in terms of social capital and making more money because of your pay, paying attention to the network that's around you, The the number one thing that networks provide is information. Mm -hmm. They provide you with information about opportunities, information about potential sales leads, information about new jobs, whatever it is. So in in terms of the difference between working in a large organization and being an entrepreneur – it's still information. The difference is where you're going to get that information inside of an organization. You want to be tapped in and understand the informal network. Like you, you only have to work inside a company for, you know, three or four months, which is great for you because you know, it went bankrupt like three months after you got hired (laughs) for sure. (laughs) Um, You only have to work inside a company for a couple of of weeks really before you figure out that like the secretary or the administrative assistant knows more than most people, right? Right, right? They're actually the people to be plugged into for information and what have you. You also figure out pretty quickly that you need to be paying attention to what's going on in other silos, other departments kind of cross uh, the, the formal network of the org chart, right? So paying attention, getting a mental map of the informal network of organizations should be your primary goal, knowing who's connected to who and how. You don't need to be connected to everyone. You probably can't be. But to have a sense of, you know what, if I need to figure out what's actually going on in, in the finance department, then who can I talk to? Who could, int- who could connect me over to that? In terms of as an entrepreneur, it's a similar thing. We're looking for information. but again, it's it's now it's not internal. Now it sort of comes from everywhere. And so there's a couple yeah. different strategies I think apply when it comes to specifically to an entrepreneur. The first, and we write about this right off the the top, is that the the un uh, let's call it underrated value of weak and dormant ties people you know but you don't know that well a lot of times when you're in the startup space you're an entrepreneur space you're you run to the the meetups and the mixers and the conferences yes. thinking that's what networking is and in reality like you may meet people who do have information that you don't have but they don't want to help you like they just met you they mm-hmm. just built rapport with you and you failed sure. to not make it weird or maybe they made <laughs> it weird like yeah. they're not as motivated to help you as are your weak and dormant ties. These are two types of people that you we would say are already in your network, you're already connected to them, you just either don't talk to them very often, which is the case with like a dormant tie, you just haven't talked to them in a couple months, or you know them but you don't know them that well. Like you see them every couple of, of weeks or you you know them because anytime they're, well I guess this wouldn't apply to an entrepreneur, but the example I use for a weak tie is that guy you always see when there's cake in the break room, but you don't really have a <laughs> conversation with him, right? So with reach out to the, Right, exactly. Maybe not that guy. Okay, maybe not that guy. Brad,
1: you're always in the break room. Do you ever leave? (laughs) Do you ever work? (laughs) Yeah. How much do you make? (laughs) (laughs) That's bullshit. (laughs) So, so the thing
2: the thing to be paying attention to in, in those cases is is strengthening those relationships weak and dormant ties because they – just like strangers, they are somewhere else in the network. Your close contacts, the people you talk to every day, like I don't know how to tell you this, Matt. Andrew does not have very much new information for you. You guys are work together for a ton of time. Yeah. You all know the same people. You think alike. You're not going to get – you're not going to be made aware of new opportunities from him. There's a close right. contact it's to the literally the term in social network science is redundant he's literally he's redundant right <laughs> yeah
1: you're firing me I've been already. saying that for
2: the last four years <laughs> I mean, like ever s- <laughs> well come on you need a, everybody needs a co-host but beyond that <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, let me know when we take a break and we come back to the uh, to the match show.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> you want you want access to that that information comes from elsewhere in the network, not your close contacts, which is yeah. why we think we need to go to those mixers and what have you. But we can ties, by definition are somewhere else in the network, but they're more motivated to help you because they already know you and
0: they have and they have a, like an emotional connection with you, right? It's like they they care.
2: Right. And I should say you're more likely to help them too. So you're more you're better able yeah. to create value in those scenarios as well. So that's like step one. You can skip the annual super expensive conference for your industry because you're not, (laughs) you're not strangers anyway. I'm out. All right. So stay in your, stay in your office in your hoodie. However, if you're going to do that, have a plan to be regularly reaching back out to weak and dormant ties. So what I tell people to do with no systems in place is literally pull up their Facebook or their LinkedIn or their Twitter, whatever social network they like to use, pull up the list of connections and scroll all the way to the bottom because they're always sorted by who you interact with the most mm-hmm. frequently. So scroll all the way to the bottom, pick that person and click on the, on their profile, see what's going on in their life, and then shoot them a more intimate message than like clicking like on their picture of their new baby or whatever, yes. right? Send them an email or a text message or a quick phone call. And you don't have to say anything. Just say, hey, I saw that this happened in your life because they posted it on social media. So it's yeah. what's going on in their life. It's appropriate to use as a bridge to reach back out. You know, and, and I hope you're doing well. If you do that like, two or three times a week, those two or three times will turn into probably one substantive conversation a week where you actually really do have the time to re-engage with that person. And of those, let's say that three or four of those conversations going on in a month, I guarantee you one of those conversations will have some piece of information you didn't have, some potential opportunity, some potential lead that you didn't have. And you didn't do it by running around to something and all trying to trade referrals or business cards or whatever. You did it by checking in on your friends and seeing if there was a way you could help them or a way that they could help you.
1: So you're saying when you need something, it was already too. It's already too late, and you shouldn't be reaching out. Like you should have been like gently touching all of the people from five years ago, so that when you do have a need or or whatever, like they're kind of there. They're they're warm. Right.
2: So this is a this is a regular system you're using. To I I like to think of the strength of relationship as intervals of time between interactions. Right. Your close friends you're talking to every day or at least once a week. These are the people you're talking to three months, six months, once a year, et cetera. But have a system in place so those relationships don't fall by the wayside. That way, when you do need help, it's just one in a series of conversations. And and I would argue the flip, too. When they need help and they know that you're the guy to talk to about uh, getting started with a podcast or whatever, they feel comfortable reaching out to you. So there's an opportunity for you to create value for them as well.
0: Yeah, one of the things that I do, because I, I, you know, the, the whole thing of like waiting until you need help, it always feels forced. It's like, mm. oh, I'm going to email this person. And it's like, I know what I'm doing. Like, I'm self-aware enough to know, like, I am I want something. And I do have friends, like, you know, who, to, who will call or text. And it's like, because they need something from me. It's never like, hey, man, how you doing? But I have this rule that I've been sort of, I've been working on for the last couple years uh, where... If I think of someone, just, you know, I'm making breakfast, um, in the shower, wherever I am, <laughs> not, not in a weird way, but like, you <laughs> Except know, just, in the just shower, randomly. That, that's not weird. Yeah, like, or I have a dream about somebody, you know, they're or they're in my dream, like, I will just make a point to immediately text them something because it's, I, I don't, it's more like, hey, do you want to chat today? Do you want to get on the phone today? Do you want to uh, go out for a beer? Do you want to go get coffee? Do you want to, um, hey, what's up? I don't know. Like, or just like. You up? No, I don't do that. Uh, just, <laughs> but but you know, just some sort of like connection when I think of them because I feel like that is the least. That's the coolest way to do that,
2: you know, without without.
1: That is pretty dead. I, I, I don't.
0: I don't need things.
2: Yeah. I totally. I totally agree. And so I, you know, I'm laying out a system where you're checking in on yourself, making sure you're doing it regularly. The hope is that it becomes that habit. That yeah. when someone pops into your head, you take the 15 seconds to send yeah. an email. And this is this is the weird thing. You the just number say, one hey, Siri,
0: text Bob. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the
2: number the number one objection I get is like, Oh, but what am I going to say? It's going to sound weird. No, 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 no. How if how many times have you been you been on the receiving end of a message from Bob that says, "Hey, I was thinking about you today. I hope you're well." You know, like no, no eggplant emoji. Just I just wanted you to know. <laughs> I just sorry, wanted sorry. you to know I'm thinking about you. Right. We right. love right. to get those. The, the totally. thing that I'll usually do when I when I reach out on in that sort of an instance. Is I'll also put at the very end. I'll just I'll put something like no reply needed. Just wanted to let you know I was thinking about you, right? Yeah. So that and and everyone usually always replies, but that's the no reply needed is the broadcast. So like this is not a prospecting email. This no. is just me telling you I'm thinking about you. Yeah. Uh, and and pinging you and checking in on you and then you know, usually, like I said, if you do that two or three times in a week, one of those will actually turn into like, man, let's catch up. Let's, let's go jump on the phone real quick yeah. and, and talk. And that's when you're getting access to new information. You're allowing yourself to give them new information. And that's where that social capital, that real sort of value in the network is generated. And it's generated best when it's authentic, exactly like that.
1: Yeah. So Matt is a born connector. Like when he is not trying, he's like, like connecting with people and making friends and he just has like all these latent, I don't know, network relationship things going on. I, I am like yeah. the polar opposite. Like wh- while I'm sitting here, I'm destroying existing relationships. Like yeah. I just I just have like a, a narrow... You're that guy that unfriends people on their birthday? <laughs> exactly. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, so... So uh, for for someone like Matt, I imagine he goes to LinkedIn and you know he has like ten thousand yep. uh, like latent connections, and then he just like he kind of like gets stuff happening. For me, like I, I feel like I need to maybe forward build so that I could even aspire to have latent connections. You know, like how how would you do things like that?
0: I don't use LinkedIn, by the way. So don't, <laughs> I don't think that that's the move. Damn,
2: one thing I'm doing wrong already.
0: I know you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so
2: I actually love LinkedIn, but that's a whole other monologue. Is. I'm sure, but yeah. But it's a, yeah, it's a, just a weird. They've done a lot in terms of content now, mm-hmm. to where they're like Facebook for grownups now. Oh. It feels yeah. like all of the, the dumpster fire that is my newsfeed on Facebook yeah. is like professional. So I check that probably more. But that's that's irrelevant. Um, so I mean, my thing is, first of all, everybody has a network, right? So yours yeah. might be smaller. But that doesn't mean it's non-existent. I promise you, you have those latent connections, those weak and dormant ties already. And the other thing is that bigger is not necessarily better, right? Again, the yeah. p- <laughs> <laughs> it's the motion of the ocean. <laughs> I knew we were going to go here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. 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 <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> The, the, it's it's the in, in terms of if the purpose of a network is information, then mm-hmm. it's it's how much access to information that you have. If you have more connections that are just redundant, then it doesn't matter how big of a network you have. What you actually want is to be finding so that the technical fancy term in network science is in every kind of network, there are clusters. There are groups of people usually clustering around industry, sometimes around city, whatever, but people tend to cluster, and then that creates gaps in the network. The technical term is structural holes what you what you want is you want people you want people in your network that are the bridge over those structural holes that can connect you to different communities right so you you know you both are both in podcasting but there's a whole lot of adjacent uh, communities in there. You need to know about it to some extent. You probably need to know about you know, email list growth. You need to know about, um, you know, running paid media in order to boost your audiences and those, yeah. that's a different cluster of people, right? You need access to like guests. So your subject, like you're in the podcasting cluster, but then you're also in the the personal finance cluster. But then you reach out to people like me who like, you don't want to look at my bank account. Right. But
1: Well now that you bring it up, I mean Yeah, you already
2: asked me how much I get paid, so we might as well go your number, please. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, it's, I, I'll give you my Mint login. Is that <laughs> perfect? Perfect. Right. Wait, do they sponsor the show or should I jump to some other software? Nope, Ben's fine. Okay, all right, cool. <laughs> They're not sponsoring shit. What you, what you want to be looking for in terms of new connections that you're building is you want to be finding those bridges into new clusters so that you have access to more and more information. So, you know, to, to Andrew, to you, it's not that you just need to go meet 10,000 people. You could meet 10 if there are 10 people that can act as those brokers to new communities and new clusters for you. So
1: you're saying like use Matt better is what you're trying to say. Well,
2: Matt would be one, mm-hmm. but I bet you have others. Yes,
1: got you. Well,
2: yeah, use me, dude. <laughs> that's what I, I. Didn't we just talk about this whole not using people?
0: Uh, yeah, right. Sorry, but I, I. But I offered, so it doesn't. It doesn't. Right. So I'm saying, hey, use me, because I mean that's sort of I. I. I've decided recently that that's what makes me the happiest is just helping other people yeah. like that's all I want to do like I don't want to be taken advantage of, but i will I will offer help because that actually in turn helps me
2: so, so yeah so two two things one you, that's just being a good person, but two, this is where the the to my opinion the big gap between social capital and regular capital is you have to think about social capital like an investment account. Right? You being generous build social capital, and that allows you to make withdrawals later. You trying to withdraw from a, a zero bank account, you're just going to overdraft. So, so you've got it on the head, right? You're always being generous because you know that if there's more value in the network that's around me, that reflects back on me. That'll, that spills back over to me when I have to make those withdrawals.
0: But I don't know how that relates to money specifically. Like I, I don't, I, I, or at least I haven't figured out like how to you know, <laughs> like turn that faucet on. I don't know.
2: Well, I mean, i would I would argue that it's that it's starting, right? I mean, what okay. what do you guys at? Like over a thousand iTunes reviews and what have you, the ability to get yeah. whatever guests you want that's going to lead to bigger. like it,
1: every episode gets like twenty to thirty listens. So yeah, yeah. that's that's. That's more than your mom mm-hmm.
2: uh, and it's two of you. so
1: she has a lot of iPhones. It might mostly be my mom. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you
2: get what I mean, Like just like anything else, it it compounds. in 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 network science, the term is actually preferential attachment. So, the more people you're connected to, the more natural connections are going to happen. This is why Andrew feels like he's got less connections than Matt, that Matt's just doing it passively and that Matt's so good at it. It's not that. It's just sort of, it's the compound interest of networking. It just takes time. Mm-hmm. And then the reflection on that into money, again, the purpose of a network is information. And so yeah. if you're getting that information now, if, if you're getting that information and you're never taking advantage of it, then, then I don't know what to do to help you, Matt. But I promise <laughs> that that network is what turns you on to new opportunities, new potential avenues to go down, new new strategies, et cetera. That's how it turns into money. Information.
1: So I actually also really like LinkedIn, and at least in the beginning part of my career, you know, I try to like friend a lot of people on there and like do like cross reviews and stuff or, or whatever you like kind of write about how yeah, they do the job. Um, yeah. But most of my connections were people that I worked with to some degree, you know, in an office setting where I might have like walked across the floor and be like, yo, sup, Joe, and then just kind of like walked away. Um, What do you do if like you are someone who works in, say, like a trade type career um, or where you just like don't have those people in an office that you've kind of latently connected with?
2: So, again, I, I think that I think that you have your your situation. So it's funny to me. I'm thinking about this. You actually said that you don't have a, a lot of them. And I'm thinking, no, you probably knew a lot of people, Lehman Brothers, and then everyone was scattered to the wind because <laughs> they went bankrupt. Right. Right. But so I think I think you already do. But I think this is where we go from the weak and dormant ties to the friend of a friend, the namesake of the book, mm-hmm. that one degree of separation out. So. Spoiler alert, all of the stuff that you've heard about 6 degrees of separation, 6 degrees of Kevin Bacon is actually relatively accurate. You can hmm. connect pr- any of the 7.4 billion people on the planet, uh except for the most remote tribes like in the Amazon, etc. You can connect uh, any well, so oh, yeah, oh, you
0: the Amazon.
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 the Amazon, not the
0: real one.
2: I guess Amazon is the Am- kind of the, the but anyway. Amazon. Yeah, yeah. Um you can connect anybody to anybody else through five or six introductions, even even less depending on kind of where you live and what have you. So mm. I'm not interested in in meeting 7.4 billion people sure. or even going through six introductions to get to certain people. But if that's true, then just mathematically, then there are hundreds of millions of potential people that are one degree of separation mm. out from you. And this is where I think the most powerful question you can be asking is, who do you know in blank? Right. Who do you know in blank, meaning the sector, the industry, the city, whatever you want to get to know more people in. If you're talking like you were saying about a tradesman, then you might flip this question a bit and you might talk about like, who do you know that's going through a life stage that makes you a valuable kind of. I guess
1: I'm thinking like not a typical like office setup, I guess. I feel like that's like insanely rich with connections.
2: Right. Right. So, so this is, this is the question I would get in the habit of asking regularly, who do you know in blank with blank being, maybe it's the, the industry that you sell to. Maybe it's the city that you're about to move to. And you want to know that you have new, you know, have new connections. Even when you hit the ground, new people to meet that, who do you know in blank? The reason that we ask that is it's the most open postured way to start looking at those friend of a friend connections, right? If I were to get on LinkedIn and look up like, who do, who do I already know in Cincinnati or I were to look up like and find somebody at this company that I wanted to sell to, and then I find that we have one mutual friend in common and go beg that person for an introduction to this prospect for me. like. That person probably doesn't want to introduce you. A, because you're already being sort of sleazy. You're already making it weird. Mm-hmm. Right. But but B, that you don't know the strength of that relationship. You don't know if it's ready for them. Every, every introduction is actually a recommendation. Right. Every time I connect two people, I am recommending them to each other, which means that right. my value, my reputation is also on the line. If the connection goes sour, I lose capital with both of those people. I lose social capital with both of those people. Right. So when you say, who do you know in blank, you're asking people to think of multiple potential people that are are in or near that p- cluster that you're trying to get connected to. And usually the people that they're going to mention are people that they would be comfortable introducing you to. If I know Jeff Bezos, but I'm not comfortable introducing Matt to Jeff Bezos, I'm just going to pretend that I don't know Matt. I am just not going to be in my list of people. Right. Um, that, that I know, right? So that who do you know in blank question can be really valuable. And if you're in a field like, like sales, like I was just talking it to a bunch of, I was talking to car business today the other day, which is a show for people that are car sales reps. And I think the question that a lot of times people get wrong there is they go, who do you know that's looking for a car? sort of too late, right? right. You, yeah. you want to figure out like what life stage are they about to go through that would make them, uh, qualified for your service or what sure. thing do they all have in common? So like I was saying, if you work for like Honda and you sell the SUVs and minivans, like you want to say, who do you know that just started a family, right? right. Which is a way broader question than who do you know that's looking for a car? Sure. You want to find a way to fill in the blank with as broad a possible question as possible and get lots of different people that are now potential referrals, introductions to you. Um, I have a in your research um
0: has it is it harder now to make friends with the social networks of the world the computer world versus when it like back in the 1700s where we you know had these you know basically tribes if you will of of people and they would all help each other because that's they did that that was how we communicated. We communicated in person. Nowadays we are kind of all isolated in our little, you know, offices here or our bedrooms or whatever and we're talking via Skype. Um but I, I mean I, I guess I'm what I'm curious is a kind of a bigger question of like is communication harder now? Like it through through what you've been researching because of what or because of technology? Or or is it or is it actually the opposite? Because I know People who hate Facebook and are like, fuck it. I don't want to be a part of it. And I feel like they're just
2: isolating themselves, right? Yeah. So uh, yes, and in, in a weird way. So it's it's kind of both. Improv. It's ne- it's, yeah, there you go. It's never been easier to make new connections, but I think it's never been harder to, to take them deep because people feel like okay. being connected on a Facebook is a replacement for, like you said, that when we all lived in the village and of 150, 200 people and everybody knew what everybody was doing, right? Yes. Um, it yeah. was definitely easier to go deep, to have in the fancy term in network science is multiplexity, to have a couple different contexts for connection, a couple different uh, things that we, we have in common, reasons to keep talking. It's never been easier to meet new people, but it's never been harder to find all of those because people will trade the pixelated version of someone for a real actual, uh, connection. So what, what I tell people is that online networking, uh, social networks and what have you are a supplement to not a replacement for your face to face in-person networking efforts. If you think about them as a supplement, as a way to kind of ping people and see what they're doing, but not as a replacement, I'm sorry, Matt, you're going to have to leave the house. Okay. Um, well, if, you, if you, if you okay, see my it, people over, Yeah, you could no. So that's a and there's a whole chapter on like dinner parties as a wonderful way to again bring it in and make those personal connections. So that's my move. It's it's a great it's a great tool for broadening out who you get connected to, but it is not going to replace feeling connected to that person. Cool, Uh, David.
0: uh, We need to wrap things up, but I I this has been super fun to talk to you. Uh, This topic, I am I, I love this topic to be honest, like networking, uh, just being a social person, uh, you know, the idea of salary transparency, the idea of it. I, I was always, uh, I always tried to be transparent if I could, I'm still, I'm transparent now more than ever because you know, the internet and stuff, I could just say whatever the hell I want to, um, versus like being (laughs) in an office. But, uh, I really appreciate you coming on and and talking and where can people find out more about you, your books, all of those things.
2: Yeah. So I mean, first, thank you so much for having I mean, I obviously love talking about this stuff too, but yeah, right. thank you so much for having me on. It was great to talk to you guys on this. The single best place on the entire internet, if you're listening to this show mm-hmm. for more about me is the show notes to this episode. Matt and Andrew want you to go to the show notes anyway. They're going to put the links to all that stuff. You could go to com if you want, but like they're going to do the work for you. So just go to the show notes for this episode, and that's where we'll get connected and keep the conversation going.
1: You're high. Nice.
2: <laughs> Does that mean I'm fired? <laughs> yeah, you're out, Matt. You're out. No, okay, I'm out. I'm out <laughs>
0: All right. Well, uh, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. And if anyone out there listening, of course, you know, as David already mentioned, you can find everything in the show notes. If you think we missed anything, you can join the Listen Money Matters community on Facebook so we can continue this exact conversation. Just go to listenmoneymatters.com slash community. Uh, please subscribe wherever you normally listen to podcasts and tell your friends about us. Point them to your favorite episodes. Maybe this one, probably this one is your favorite episode, and hopefully they'll become a subscriber too. And if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to talk about, please email us. ListenMoneyMatters at gmail.com. We say it every episode. We love your emails. Please keep sending them in. All the tools and resources we normally mention on this show are available at ListenMoneyMatters.com slash toolbox. David, appreciate you coming on. And uh, Andrew, later, man.
1: Later, dude.